Well, thank you everyone for attending another edition of our weekly Wednesday series where I get to have the opportunity to get to learn a lot of different markets all across the country. Uh, the Bay Area is, as, as you guys know, is pretty unique and a little bit different, but it's always interesting to hear like what has been going on, especially given uh, different states and different cities have been opening up from the shelter in place at, at different timetables. So before we get into the local dynamics, I'd love to get a little bit of an intro from the both of you guys. So Danielle, do you want to go first, share a little bit of um, how long you've been in the business, um, you know, the, the your production levels of last year, and then we'll go with Chris after that. So I got into the business uh, in 2016. Um, I was in a account management role with a tech company and um, was just kind of fed up with doing the same thing day in and day out. Bored is probably the better word to say. I wanted a little bit more of a challenge. Um, and my mother had been in real estate for uh, 11 years at that point. And she was starting to help my friends buy homes. And um, she would be like, look at I sold your friend this home. Look at what I made. <laughs> um, you could do this too. So my mother actually did pay for my real estate school, um, and I got licensed in 2016, and I've been doing it ever since. Um, so we work as a team now. We're a mother-daughter team. It's just the two of us. Um, and last year, I sold around 25 homes. Um, I'd have to. I should have wrote down my um, my volume. Um, no yet, way. probably for around um, five. Five million plus, somewhere around there. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a good year, and I hope to do double that this year. <laughs> awesome, very good. And Chris, yeah. how about how about on your end? So I've been a realtor for twenty three years. I have seven members on my team, and uh, about four and a half years ago, moved from Scottsdale into Sedona, Arizona, which is a population of sixteen thousand people. We had no market penetration, and last year our team was number one in sales volume at eighty-six million, and we're on track for a hundred million. Wow, that just Great. gave me the chills, Chris. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So, so Chris, yeah, why don't you start by sharing why did why make the move from such a large area like Scottsdale to Sedona and. Um, did, did you already have a team in Sedona at that time? Did anybody move with you? You know, no, I was actually, um, by myself moving into Sedona. I was the poster child for no bricks and mortar Spencer and, um, believed that I could take a big brand name into a small town and with the right strategy, put it together. And in the last four and a half years, I've added the team members. So now there's four others helping me because I couldn't do it uh, by myself. Very nice. Okay. Oh, wow. That is amazing. And were there any, um, I know different markets may have, uh, you know, high producing agents, top producing agents. Did you encounter stiff competition or was it you had <laughs> this own game plan, especially given a town is so small, like I'm sure everybody knew each other already. So I always say this, Spencer and Daniel, it was brutal. Uh, I actually would get calls at night, 11 o'clock, your signs in my yard. My tires were slashed. Um, I'm not making that up. So uh, oh it was brutal. But, you know, I love competition. So I'm like, bring it on. And then I'll never forget the name. This one gal, top producer comes up to me. She says, you will never make it in this market. And I said, watch me. Watch me. I love that. And you did. 
right on. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. And, <laughs> nice. And Danielle, on your end in in the Cleveland uh, market, like how how has it been working with your mother? Is it? Do you see her kind of taking a step away from the business over time? Like, is it? Uh, you're going to be not getting all her clients. Like, what's 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 the relationship there? It's- it's so funny that you ask that because we did have a conversation um, just last week about, you know, what's our future? Um, originally, when we started this team two years ago, um, I was in the business for about a year before we had decided to join up. Obviously, um, you know, that's not a decision that comes lightly. My mom did not want us to in any way to hurt our relationship. Um, but turns out we do work very well together. Um, it just is so perfect because my mom is um, a high C. Uh, well, she's an SC, but so she loves the compliance side of things and all the paperwork, which I hate. <laughs> um, so from here on out, um, you know, my mom doesn't see herself being in the business till she's 70. Um, she's in her, you know, mid 50s now. She'll probably be mad at me for saying that. So, you know, maybe 10 plus more years or so. But eventually she would like to take more of the administrative um, you know, um, transactional, not trans coordination, transaction coordinating role, um, and kind of taking on that where I'll go out and I'll show the homes and, and stuff like that. Cause she's been doing that for 15 years now. Um, mm. you know, some people love that part of it. Um, some people are happy to be at their computer, you know, working hard and she is just a hard worker. So yeah, I think that's kind of what our future will be. Um, we're not really looking to grow the team like we once thought we were going to, um, just because the, you know, the accountability piece, it's already so much to be accountable to each other. Um, Chris, you probably understand this all too well. It's a lot to have to worry about, um, you know, all the people on your team and my mother and I are both a little bit of worriers. So (laughs) we would really want to make sure that, that they were happy, um, so yeah, that's kind of the future for us. Nice. And are you guys, do you guys have it divvied up in terms of what you guys do or is it really uh, a mother daughter um, business, but you're kind of working separately? I mean, different demographics and like yeah, that. That's a, that's a great question too. So we, um we do have our own clients, like our own spheres, but a lot of our sphere also intersects family, friends, family, um, even people that I, went to high school with my mom started working with before I was even in the business and they choose, you know, they've worked with her before they would like to work with her again. So for situations like that, we work on some things together. Um, but a lot of our business, we also do separately. Um, and like I said, um, she does in, you know, well with the compliance side of things. So we actually did have a talk recently. Um, and I'm going to start paying my mother to do that for me. (laughs) You're gonna give her that transaction yeah. coordinator fee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were gonna we were thinking about hiring someone and she was like, I would much rather do it for you. Sorry, Chris. Didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, no. yeah, that's a smart thing to do. I say if you don't like it, let's find somebody who can do it for you and pay them a fee. And she likes it, so it works out well for me. <laughs> nice. And yeah. Chris, so you have a team and I love to understand one. When was the when was the point when you realized you needed one uh, in terms of being able to scale? Like, what was that? Was it a breaking moment or was it like, OK, I can do this much volume. I'm getting either too stressed or I just know I needed to hire these people. And from your experience as growing your top producing team, 
Um, what were some of the lessons learned that you might be able to share others that are looking to start up a team? Sure. So my rule of thumb is 20 transactions. That's what I can physically do. Um, I like to list. My specialty is listing. So if I get to 20 listings, then I'm going to hire a new person and I'll keep adding as those transactions grow. And then what I learned and um, Danielle's experiencing it is that if you don't like to do something, you need to hire it out immediately and get a good assistant. The two things I recommend is uh, we work our CRM, which happens to be follow-up boss mm -hmm. to the T. And then we definitely have the support system in place. So example, a lot of people were, were you know, moaning about social media. Oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I said, okay, we'll hire somebody to do that for you. So we hire somebody to do that for them. We have a transaction coordinator. And then we also have a listing kit specialist who puts together all our listings and, and gets everything paper ready for us. So I love like that delegation yeah. actually. Yeah. Leverage is, is key in this business, right? And, and then Danielle, you can't worry. You got to let it go. You got to let your baby I know. go. Say, Don't worry about it. Trust. You know, it takes time. I will say that to, um, <laughs> to take your emotions out of things. I am a highly emotional person to begin with. Um, so for me, I really have to try to separate those things because if I become emotional, then my clients will see that and, you know, it could affect things. So I'm working on it, Chris. I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Chris, how did you learn to implement those uh, specific models or training programs? Was it through any sort of mastermind or just courses or is it just trial and error? No, it, it was a lot of learning, Spencer. I mean, I, I spend one third of my time in classes or, you know, taking different designations. I, I believe you have to learn from the best. So I would shadow some of the best agents. I paid agents to follow them. I remember going up to Seattle to work with an agent just to see how she did her marketing. You know, I think you got to reach out to the great agents to get the information yeah. and then just keep learning. Definitely. This is a career that you have to forever keep learning. And yeah. That is great. And so what I didn't ask is what is the average price point uh, for both of you guys in your respective markets? Danielle, you want to go first? Yeah. So I actually looked them up for you. So I made right. sure that I had the right. I looked them up as of this morning. So Cleveland, um, we have, you know, I work in the greater Cleveland area. So there are probably three to four counties that I service alone. Um, I'll go up to an hour. The most I've gone is an hour and a half for a client. Um, you know, cause if someone gives me a referral, I don't want to pass them off to somebody else. I want to take good care of them. Um, so for Cuyahoga County, which is where Cleveland is actually located, the average price points 188. Um, for Lake County, which is where my office and I'm located is, is around 176. And then a, a big county as well that I work in, um, which is a, probably a little bit more, um, I would say, not rural, but a little bit more country, less less suburban, um, more land per se. That average price point is around two ninety eight. Okay, nice. And then yeah. Chris, how about how about on your side? So the average sales price would be five seventy five, five hundred seventy five. On the luxury level, it's about one point three. Land is about one hundred and eighty nine thousand for parcels. And condos are about the same square, 287 a square for condos. And our, our month supply is about 5.2 months on the single family home. Okay, interesting. Wow. So it does, so it does take 
So it does take a while to sell houses if that's the case. Like what's the length of time that, especially you're doing a lot of listings. Right, so on the luxury side, luxury side, it could be 11 months. I have one mm -hmm. closing Friday that took, we had it on the market for 1.7 months. And you know, $30,000 later on the marketing on that, we finally wow. got it the contract. I tell people they never realize how much money goes into some of these large estates and luxury. Mm -hmm. So agents going into luxury, it's like, be ready. Because if the longer it sits on the market, that's that's taking out of your pocketbook. Right. If the, if the average length of time is that long, how do you decide or determine any sort of adjustments, whether it's different type of marketing or potential price adjustment? Like it's, you know, it doesn't move very quickly. So there's, I'm sure there's some levels of anxiousness as well over time. How do you deal with that? If the if if it takes that long to sell, so I'll say for the first part of it. So let's say I'm going in under that luxury market. My goal, personal goal for all my clients, is 60 days. I get you an offer. That's my goal. So if in that 60 days I can show the numbers and the analytics, and we don't have an offer, then I've got to change my marketing strategy and or do a price adjustment. Right. The other thing I want to build into my listing agreement is an extension on that listing, especially if I'm in luxury and it's 11 months supply, then I, I want a two year or I want a one year with some kind of handcuff clause <laughs> to push them into the second year because yeah. it, you know, I don't want to lose that listing in year two after I've spent 15 grand or maybe I take a retainer. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Wow. Yep. And See, I, haven't, I was gonna say, I haven't really broken into the luxury market per se. I think my highest price point um, was right under 400,000. Now in Cleveland, you know, that is higher double, budget yeah, double, because you can doubling. buy a single family home in the one 200, um, you know, no problem. So um, still trying to break into that market, but it is a little bit different in the Cleveland area. We don't have as much luxury real estate as, as other, uh, other places um, would be. If you did want to break <laughs> luxury my biggest tip on that would be to go to the institute for marketing luxury homes mm -hmm. and I'm running this town <laughs> marketing specialist designation because they'll teach you how to do it they do the you know step by step and their program has got to be the best one out there for learning luxury and how to break into it and how to take the materials to that next level okay well thank you i appreciate that <laughs> wonderful and so chris when it comes to like the split between luxury in your area versus, uh, I guess the average homes, what percent do you, are you doing that's luxury versus average today? And do you prefer one over the other given luxury does take a lot longer? <laughs> Good question. Trick question. <laughs> Trick question. I love luxury, but I will say if I only did luxury. I would have no food with meals. So <laughs> My break off is 30% luxury, 70% the rest. Yeah. And, you know, we just, you know, it, it's a different marketing campaign. It's a different system that we put in place for luxury compared to what we do for single family under 1.1 million. What What are examples that you're doing actually differently from a, from a marketing? Because you mentioned the cost is much higher. Like what, right. what are some examples so, that you're doing? We'll do, you're, you're the tech realtor. So on the, on the single family homes under 1.1, we're going to do more social media, Google. 
with the affluent over 1.1, we're going to do more print advertising. And it was like, oh, print advertising. Well, it works like Jet Set Magazine or New York Times. We've, you know, we've got to get some presence there because our Wall Street people from New York and New Jersey that are importing here or even California, they are still picking up digitally or, you know, paper. Yeah. That so that's really interesting to hear. Yeah. And what what are the drivers of Sedona in general? Like, is it uh, vacation homes? Are they are they living there and commuting somewhere else? Like, what's the the demographic and the clientele that you typically see? You've hit it right. It's a vacation destination, but it's also we're seeing now. Hey, look at COVID. Nobody, everybody's kind of freaking out. In New York and New Jersey, San Francisco. Californians, I mean, they're pent up demand. They want now, they're like, if I can live anywhere, I'm going to go live in the Red Rocks and I want to be on the trails. I want to do my yoga. And if Twitter allows me to live in, you know, a nice place and I don't have to go to work, I'm moving to Sedona. Yeah. I've <laughs> heard great things about Sedona. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's still, I think, relatively hidden gem. With it. Mm -hmm. it is, is that safe to say? Um, or is it, or the word is starting to get out? <laughs> it's, 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 the word is out, the tourism is about 2.2 million people a year, but it, it's a wonderful place. It's beautiful. And, you know, the people want to be here. So the, the real gem are the people here. So it's, mm. it's interesting. And what's the closest airport to Sedona? Like the so a larger can, airport? Um, Sky Harbor down in Phoenix, or you can do shuttle service out of Flagstaff, Arizona, which is an hour drive. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Not bad. Nice. Yeah. And then Danielle, how about on your end? I know from at least from the Bay Area, I know several people that have uh, investment properties in Cleveland. Yeah. So, but is that the majority? Is that a very small amount? Is it mostly just local people buying? Like, what's the driver of of Cleveland? You know what? I think it is a good mix of all of the above. Um, we see more so in the last, I don't know, five to ten years, especially with more tech companies moving out of Silicon Valley. Um, you know, we're seeing more companies come into Cleveland and, and start their roots here. So we're getting, um, you know, um, people that are, I can't think of the word that you would call those people that would be coming from somewhere else uh, off the top of my head, but people from coming from out of state. And then because the investment price is just so unbelievably low uh, barrier of entry here, um, you know, we have a lot of investors that come in, a lot of companies that pick up those um, you know, dirt cheap properties and flip them and put them back on the market. Um, and then of course, you know, your, your, your single family um, homes and, and a lot, I do a lot of residential real estate um, yet. I do help a lot of investors. Um, it's, it's, they're kind of shocked when they hear the average price point um, when you compare it to, you know, something out their way. Um, a lot of the people that I work with are from California uh, specifically. So yeah, I've definitely got more into investing in the last couple of years. Um, I was just on a two-hour call with an investor from California before this, um, going over potential properties because he's doing a 1031 exchange with a property he has out in San Jose. So it's just kind of cool to you know to see where um, where I can go with this. Nice. And so, yeah. Chris, what can you share? What was the environment like in Sedona pre-shelter uh, and what is it like now? Um, is it a net benefit that you see or is it, um, yeah, what's the market conditions like pre and post-shelter? 
So pre-shelter, we were strong. We were, we're going into, you know, the last couple of years have been super strong in terms of a seller's market and about 281 to 284 square. So after, you know, we, we start seeing this and, and of course COVID hits and then we have the curfew and the looting down in Scottsdale kind of put some brakes on, but we've saw more people say, Hey, I don't want to be in Scottsdale. I don't want to be in California. I don't want to be in New York. I don't want to be in New Jersey. I want to come here. So our pent up demand right now is huge. Our inventory is low. We're waiting for people to come mid June into July into August. Our vacation rental market is off the charts. The projections for June, which is usually a hot month, you know, it's it's up as high as 80% occupancy for short term rentals for our investors. You know, the luxury investor market is huge. So they'll enjoy their vacation home and now they have the opportunity to rent it out. So, you know, that's, that's kind of our landscape right now. I'm loving it. So I, I'm, I'm telling everybody it's probably going to be our strongest year ever. Mm-hmm. Nice. Were there any surprises coming out of um, the shelter in place as in positive or negative? It seems like it may have been a pleasant surprise that things have picked up as fast as it did, but we'll have to get your thoughts. I think it's been super positive. Like I said, my, my huge estate, which, which was my longest listing ever, uh, getting that under contract during COVID. I mean, I was like, yes. Uh, and, and that was interesting because we did a virtual open house on that one, invited agents to the virtual open house. The agent sees it, punts it to their client in New Jersey. New Jersey goes to Utah, then you know drives down because we're driving distance. And sees it four times. So I think it's all positive. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Very hey, cool. I actually have a segue question related to that kind of property. Do you find um, because there's not that many offers, right? It's just generally just one buyer that would that would take it off the market. How is the negotiation like for that when when you when as a listing agent you can't be like, well, it's been on for 10 months. I, right. I really don't have another buyer, but at the same time, the seller has a certain price in mind. Right. What is, what's the mindset of that negotiation where I can't really leverage competition? How do you, how do you guys come to a balance typically? So the mindset on that one was reading the people that were actually purchasing and doing a background around them to find out what their hotspots were. Um, the negotiation actually came down to a Steinway piano. <laughs> And, and, and it was because the um, family that was purchasing has a huge family. I backgrounded all of them, watched videos of them and knew that this piano was going to be our negotiation tactic. And the sellers, of course, it's all the kids and the trustee and the sellers didn't want to sell that piano. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, give the piano, give the piano. I swear to God, this, this will work. And then when we get in the inspection period, you'll be amazed if you give the Steinway piano. So it was really terse. We, we got the piano in there. And guess what? In my whole career, over 1.1 million, and this is a $5 million estate, they didn't ask for one item on the inspection. Huge. Wow. That is huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My wow. hair is like standing up on my arms for that one. That was a lot. 10,000. Wow. 15 acres and not one thing we asked for because of that piano. Wow. That's, huge. That's good great. for you. See, just, That's amazing. It's right. Yeah. Were there, you know were there, what you're doing, Chris. 
<laughs> you gotta read people. You gotta tell people yes, that's you, do. you have to know their personality type and how to adjust to their personality type as fast as you can. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. And Danielle, how about on your end related to pre-shelter and post-shelter? What 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 changes have you seen? Uh, how is the market these days? So I came into 2020 just on fire. I mean, it was my best year yet starting out um, January, February. Um, <clears throat> and I was excited. I was pumped. I'm like, I turned 30 this year. This is going to be my year. I have big goals. Um, you know, we have, we have been in a low inventory sellers market for a couple of years now, and we've been seeing multiple offers, um, not on every property, you know, the, the really beautiful ones with all the updates and all the improvements. Um, you know, you see maybe a couple offers here and there, um, well, going into COVID, um, you know, Ohio did deem real estate essential. So luckily I was still able to work. Um, I showed properties virtually via FaceTime. I showed properties in person and face masks and gloves and booties and all, all the above. Um, so real estate didn't really start or stop, I should say. Um, but when things started opening back up, um, buyers started to feel more comfortable getting out there. And now we are seeing, um, you know, like seven, eight, offers in a multiple, if not more. Um, my mom just closed on a property that went 11,000 over asking. Um, so overall, we've been, it's been very positive. The only negatives really are, um, you know, trying to get those sellers to understand that like now is such an ideal time because the rates for buyers are incredibly low. I'm talking like low two, or high twos, low threes out in, in this area for people. And, um, really the thing that is most concerning is making sure that the homes appraise. Um, so that's the only thing that really um, is a negative right now is all of those competing offers, pushing that sale price above and beyond. You got to be careful. Um, so maybe even writing in some sort of clause to protect your, your buyer or your seller or whatever the case might be, whoever you're representing. How much percent down are your buyers typically putting if they're concerned about the appraisal levels? Are they, is it pretty stretched when they're buying or what's, how much percent down are they putting? You know, it, I very rarely see people put 20% down these days. Um, it, I see, I would say on average, people are putting around five, maybe 10 um, FHA buyers, even lower. Um, I think for people, what what we're really doing in terms of negotiating is, um, you know, a lot of times buyers need those closing costs nowadays. Um, and we, it's become very predominant that they're asking for those. And when they do ask for closing costs, you know, that becomes a, something that looks maybe less desirable to the seller. So I always recommend that we, you know, bump up your offer a little bit to make up for it. Um, but in terms of putting money down, I would not say that 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 has gotten has grew. Um, if anything, people are maybe offering more earnest money um, and asking for less. So I have as well, Chris, I've seen a lot of people ask for little to nothing on the home inspection lately, um, just because they don't want anything to stop them from getting that house um, or, you know, just because they are putting up a fight to get it. <laughs> That's interesting. And yeah. So Chris, I have a question for you related to that. And what I, it's kind of hard for me to understand. So in the Bay area, 
uh, the sellers always do the reports upfront. And so that oh, way, that here. way, that way there's no need or in the sense or much less of a need for the potential back and forth and potential dropout. Mm -hmm. So I love to understand from both of you guys, because it, it is still uh, kind of interesting for me, like why, especially for, a, let's say a luxury home, why, why, why it wasn't a practice or why not do the reports ahead of time? So then they can see it. Like what's the mindset of as to why that's not happening? You know, you, you offer that as part of the listing saying that's the best thing, you know, have a certified house with the right. inspections up front. But the reality is, Spencer, they people are cheap and, oh. it, and it sounds awful, but they don't they don't even want to do the inspection prior to even listing it because it costs money. Right. So that's the only only time I see it not up, done is when it's real expensive or they'll say, gosh, you know, then we got to get a roofer and then we've got a well. Now we got to do well. We got to get into water rights and then we've got septics. We got to do that. It becomes it becomes a hassle to some of the sellers point of view. Right. Yeah. And to, to branch off of that and for us you know, if a seller was going to do a home inspection and, and a bunch of things come up, well, then they would have to disclose all of those things. Um, and that might not put them in a position that they would necessarily like. Not saying that I'm listing a bunch of crap properties, but, you know, little things come up here and there. And once you know, you know, then the buyers are going to be like, well, why didn't they fix it? You know, so it just becomes kind of a, a nuisance more than something that's helpful to them. Interesting. And from a percentage perspective, or just from a numbers perspective, how, how often do people get in a contract, they run the report, um, and they decide to back out? Is it common? Or is it just more common that there's negotiations that you just mentioned, Chris, like what's, what's typically the result? So we had we have about 20% fallout spends because of the inspections. Hmm. And you know, what it comes down to it comes down to the age of the home. It's the roof, it's the septic tank, and it's it's the well. These are the three things we see, and those can be very expensive in our market. To replace a roof of uh, twenty five hundred square feet can be thirty thousand dollars. So, and that's because our contractors we get the special Sedona price. So, um, you know, <laughs> that's where it falls out because the seller doesn't want to pay that much for a roof, yeah. and neither does the buyer. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah, it's definitely very interesting. Uh, what what have you guys done differently? I mean, I mean, there's there's no doubt. I believe during there's initial period that it did get very dark, as in it got very quiet because the whole yeah. country shut down. Yeah. Um. So, was there any new skills or new things that you guys did that you'll continue to do moving forward um, during that time or during this time, or is it? Do you feel like just businesses? entirely the same and back back to what it was. Danielle, you want to go first? Um, so for me, I mean, what I, during those first couple weeks of April, it, mm. it was definitely quiet, um, eerily quiet, where you're starting to get scared of what is this going to mean for the you know next couple months? Where are we going with this? Is this going to be extended? Which it ended up being extended to stay at home. Um, so for me here, I, you know, was making care calls to all my past clients, um, you know, just checking in, hey, do you still love the home that you're quarantined in? <laughs> um, you know, and, and just following up and just being, being a, someone that can help and talk, not so much just calling them to ask for a referral, 
um, or for business. I just really wanted my people to know that I cared and that I wanted to help them. Um, just coming from the contribution, I think it was all a very tough emotional time for people. So I tried to tread lightly and just show that I was here and I could help with anything that they needed. Um, a lot of video, a lot of virtual um, communication. So I tried to make it as easy as possible on buyers doing, you know, still keeping the same process, still doing my buyer consultations, just doing them virtually. Um, and really just setting people up to understand what kind of market we're in and, and that you can still buy a home. Um, we could still get it done. We just need to pay extra special attention to, um, you know, your financing and, if, you know, your job, making sure you, you stay employed. Um, because I did have clients that had to, unfortunately, ask for a release from contract because they lost their job and they couldn't get loan approval. So it was tough for some people people but all overall I think it's been pretty positive and I've just tried to remain that positive person throughout all of this. Right. Excellent. And yeah, how about how about you, Chris? Virtual tours, um, video virtual tours mm -hmm. of property have become our new staple. We were doing that a little bit, but never to the degree that this did for us. Um, yeah. but I also decided, hey, I'm going to ramp up um, farming and Ooh. added 2,100 mailers. So, you know, I'm ramping up. And then after after this big estate closes, I'm, I'm going to go for another thousand. So the, the goal from this, for me, is to just ramp it up. I mean, let's work harder and, and smarter than all the yeah. competitors, right? Yep. Excellent. What do you guys yeah. think uh, will happen for the rest of the summer and the rest of the year? Any projections in terms of prices, uh, inventory, buyer demand? What are your thoughts related to those metrics? Uh, Chris, you want to go first? Buyer demand is high for us. We just got to get them out here. We need them to get either drive here or fly here. Um, the curfew is over in Arizona. Governor Ducey's lift that. So that would just happen on the 9th. So we're ready. Um, we've got people coming mid-June into July. The rental market in terms of vacation rentals are up. So I'm, I'm anticipating our luxury investors for third quarter and fourth quarter. And then I think the luxury market, I think we'll see some more houses come on the market in the higher level. And I think we're going to see more land sales because I think people aren't getting what they want. So they want to build it. Hmm. Are most of the land sales, are most of the land sales for the owner to make their own dream house or is it more developer minded? more of the person buying and, and turning it into their own dream home. So we're hooking them up with architects and contractors and you know, getting them to, to build their dream home. Nice. And how long does that typically take from just raw land to getting it done? Like, I'm assuming they had their plans ready to go and it wasn't because of a uh, decision-making from their end. Many don't have the plans. So I tell people it's about a two to three-year process if you don't have the plans. Got it. Nice. And Danielle, okay. how about how about you? What what are your thoughts for the rest of the year? So honestly, I my what I envisioned, just knowing what's going on now and everything that we're seeing in our current market, I think it's going to be an incredible summer. I think people are going to want to get out there. They're going to want to see homes. Um, I'm working with a lot of new buyers just because rates are so phenomenal. Um, we're seeing a ton of refinances in our market right now. So lenders are kind of uh, 
you know, in over their heads per se. Um, yet I, what I'm really just trying to um, keep posting about is the fact that we need listings more than anything. Um, you know, there's people that are on the fence. So I'll, you know, I'll list next spring. You know, people always think spring's the best market, but there really is no wrong time to buy. Um, if anything, if you list during a not busy month, you have less competition. Um, so you might even get more offers on your home than you would. Um, so yeah, I, I just think it's this is going to continue. I think we're going to see the same, just high buyer demand for homes and unfortunately low low supply. Yeah, it certainly seems that way that we have basically a delayed spring than anything else, given we've yeah. had a complete lockdown um, for at least several weeks in, in all cities across the country and some much longer. Like New yeah. York, I saw is finally opening up like phase one. Wow. Um, so they're they're and you know, their phase two might be sometime next month. So they they've really clamped it down versus others are already in, I think, like phase three. Yeah, um, we're almost I think we're yeah. completely opened at this point. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. What about Arizona? Where where are you guys at right now? We're open. Eh? The restaurants wow. are open, the hotels are open, you know, we're open. The only thing that just kind of put a damper on things was the one week curfew. Mm, yeah. And we had that as well. This past AM, right. So that was kind of a shocker. Yeah. Interesting. Um, when, when it says, when you say the restaurants are open, are, are people just, so I, 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 I smile because everything is completely locked down here in the Bay area. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah. um, so it, what does that, what does that mean? I don't even know what that's like anymore. <laughs> social distance dinner. So you're, you know, six to 10 feet apart. I don't know how the restaurant's margins look on that. <laughs> All my guys yeah. that are chefs, they're like, Chris, we're at half of the restaurant and we're not going to make any margin. You know, our profits is right. terrible, except for my pizza. The pizza places are off the, off the charts <laughs> for delivery. Right? right. So, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And then you've got the half masked people. So half of the store in the grocery store are masked, half or not. Yeah. And then you have your masks, you know, your arrows on the floor to follow. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So our masks, not are... people were coming up here, Spencer and the hikers, they're not social distancing and they have no masks. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. yeah masks are not required in Ohio. They're recommended, but not required um, for restaurants. What we're seeing is a lot of plexiglass <laughs> being put up. Yeah. Um, so if you're, say, really? you're sitting at a bar, you might have two bar stools that are empty next to you and a piece of plexiglass in the middle as like a shield. Oh, wow. um, or like okay. like Chris said at restaurants, six to 10 feet between tables. So you might not be able to sit in two booths back to back. One, the middle booth might have to be empty. Um, and a lot of takeout. The one thing that is uh, I'm hoping has helped these businesses is the fact that they are they're doing like curbside service or they're even delivering if they can. Um, just because they got to make money somehow. Are there options uh, that are happening where, you know, let's say restaurants on a, on a strip are, they're basically blocking off the road and they just basically have outdoor dining or is that not an option right now with the city? Like do you guys we see any that kind of? We have the outdoor dining, but we also have the indoor dining. And just like Danielle was saying, the plexiglass, you're seeing that, you're seeing the distancing. Um, masks are not required. Any showings that we do, we do have face shields and masks and we branded the face shields and we've branded the masks and we're handing them out because we want our brand out there. So 
No, that's good. Let's take it and run with it. Yeah. Best of this. You got, yeah, you got, I got to get that uh, supplier that you have. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 <laughs> that like, great. Yeah, Sedonarealestate.com. These, these are great. We look like strong <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> that, is, that is awesome. All right. We'll, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. So, Danielle, what are, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and learn more about your market? So, um, like give contact information or yes, find yeah. me on social media e either um, whatever all the whatever above. you want yeah all the so above. my name obviously here danielle dooley realtor on facebook um our team my mother and i's team is called the great lakes home team as we are next to all of the great lakes um specifically lake erie which i didn't really touch on but we do have you know quite a few people that come and want to be by the lake um and my phone number is 440 488 one eight nine three. Feel free to call, text. Um, I'd love to help anybody um, that's maybe interested in some Cleveland investments. Um, the price point is definitely um, wonderful here um, for that. You know, getting in at a low cost um, and a great return. Um, so, if you want to talk about that, I'd be happy to. Um, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you, Danielle and Chris. Sure. How about yourself? What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Just go to our website, I love Sedona real estate.com. We've got you once you go there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely need to make a trip out. Um, I'm, I'm sold to go. I, I know, I'm, I need to I'm, go too. I'm basically looking at a bunch of options like what cities or what, what areas are, are going to be opened. Um, yeah. And then domestic travel will be, will be pretty big uh, initially. Uh, yep, I already people, have a trip booked. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Because yeah. Everything, everybody's been clamped up for so long. So yep. we got to escape. And mm -hmm. uh, I think Arizona is always going to be a popular option. Right. Um, yeah. So that's that's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining. Yeah. And it was great to hear both of the, the journeys that you guys are, are, are going on right now and also learning about your markets. It's It's always fascinating for me to go through these interviews, especially since things are very different uh, mm -hmm. here in the Bay Area just in terms of dynamics, in terms of procedures. So I want to thank you guys for that. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And we'll uh, see you at the you. next one. So Bye nice to now. meet you, Chris. Danielle, Thanks, nice everyone. Hey, Podcast World. Thank you so much for your support. I do post at least three shows a week. If you like the content, please leave a five-star review, smash that subscribe button, and share it with your friends. Looking forward to have you back at the next one. Bye now.